Hello and welcome to the Court Games LCG podcast, your source of Legend of the Five Rings LCG news, chats, and general sort of discussions with me, your host, Finbar, aka Steelfur. And Kirichiwa, this is Trevor Cuba, aka Kikita Odimaru, and I am not tired and delirious because I was dragged away scratching and crying from World of Warcraft Classic. How are you doing, Finbar? I'm not tired because of World of Warcraft Classic. I am just sick, very, very sick, <laughs> um, and I can't stop coughing, which would help me sleep. Um, however, you know, I have been playing Classic. Molten Core is mostly cleared. Anixia is dead. I'm starting to get purples. Life is good. I just can't get trinkets to drop for me ever. Those are all um, words. Yeah, and people will understand them, and you don't, and that's perfectly fine. Um, but something has a 15% chance to drop. I'm not going to get it, even if I kill the boss 20 times, because maths, I don't know. Anyway, I'm not salty at all. Uh, <laughs> so we're both quite sick this week, so if you hear us coughing, it's nothing personal. Yeah, if everyone heard me on the last Province podcast, I was there with uh, Daniel Tickle and uh, Robert Denton. Uh, I was coughing and sniffling through the whole thing in between muting my mic to do large uh, sneezes. <laughs> Yeah, it is not the best of times to be alive, sadly. It's that weird, like, end-of-summer sickness thing that's going around. Yep, yep. Autumn has, in fact, come to the UK, and I am feeling the autumn chills in my bones, which are not that old, but starting to feel old, I guess. And it's that conference season, so I'm meeting loads of lovely people with loads of disgusting, horrific germs that should stay away from me. But, you know, they won't. You know what's like a, uh, a conference? A convention. Like my convention, RokuCon. It's odd. It's almost like I set that up. I, you wish you were that coordinated, Finbar. <laughs> uh uh, Kickstarter is going on right now. Uh, you can go to www.rokukan.com uh, or go to Kickstarter and type in Rokukan. Uh, we are still in, uh, going strong right now. But uh, yeah, we, uh, to, as a recap, I've got a large tur uh, LCG tournament planned. I've got uh, a large tabletop gaming space with hundreds of board games going to be available to check out. We have guests lined up. We have uh, panel rooms going to be doing much, much more. Uh, check out what I've got posted uh, on the Kickstarter to learn more and hey i'm always online you can ask me more uh if you have any questions yeah so don't be those people who wait until the end you know if you see something you like chuck in a bit of money i mean the only way that this thing is going to get off the ground is if there is enough demand to get it off the ground you know it's not going to be it's not going to be funded at the last minute by a company that's running it it's not a company doing it for profit so you know if you're keen then show how keen you are i mean that's that seems to be a good good motto to follow with these sorts of community run events and remember of course that with kickstarter if he doesn't reach his goal then the money doesn't actually get taken so you know feel free to chuck a few quid his way quid, quid is like uk for pounds and pounds is like uk for money yes finbar how many quid pounds have you donated to me <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, whilst I support the um, spirit of your event, the odds of me attending because I'm in America, uh, not in America, are quite low. However, I may give you a few pounds after this guilt-shaming podcast public statement about my lack public of Public shaming? <laughs> <laughs> now don't, I just feel bad. Don't, oh, don't feel bad. Okay. Uh, there, there, you, you bring up a good point of people who are very interested. I've had some concerns of uh, people who are not um able to make it to this event don't find it very much worth their time to do it and my prizes i don't have an avail availability to send them out right now like i can easily uh mail out my t-shirts and my pins that i have planned and my uh tournament tokens uh to anyone in the continental united states as soon as i start shipping to canada or across the seas things get really sketchy and it actually becomes very cost prohibitive is the only way i'm doing i'm not doing that um but i will say that uh should this RokuCon be successful i am intending on using this as a platform to try to bolster other activities within the community so it won't just be a weekend long event hopefully it it will be a uh, rally point alpha for the community to do a number of events throughout the year all across the world. 
uh, mostly coordinated online, but we can see we get some live events going on. That's the that's the dream anyway. Well, there you have it. More than just a convention for the Americans, it is in fact a convention for everyone to bring lovely things to the L5R world, you know, with a bit of development needed to help get it off the ground. So you should support it. I should probably support it. And we should push ahead with that. (laughs) Speaking of other uh, non-court game sponsored events, coming up, we have, of course, the Grand Championship in France on the 4th to 6th of October. Uh, We have the Grand Championship in Madrid, the Amethyst Championship uh, from the 4th to the 6th of October. And then a month later, we have Worlds on November the 5th. For those of you who are, like me, not good enough to have gotten a ticket normally and playing in the last chance qualifier on November the 6th for everyone else, it'll run to about the 11th. And then, of course, we have the Brazilian Grand Championship, which I think will be one of the last ones of the season happening on November the 29th to December the 1st. You're correct. It will be the last official L5R tournament happening uh, in 2019. Uh, but uh, these are all grand championships and also the world championships. What we have finished recently is the Kotai series. Uh, Belonga was last weekend and it was a bit interesting. Speaking of things that Finbar does not go to, uh, Finbar, tell me a little bit about uh, Bologna. Bologna. Uh, Bologna, I was going to go to, um, and then I realized I didn't want to buy a ticket, so I didn't go. And then, of course, there was only one dragon, which was interesting. I believe in healthy competition. You know, Michel Carreri can have his, uh, his Hatamoto, but, you know, if I had been there to provide some competition... Uh, that could have been fun. The Dragon Pack, right? Seekers of Wisdom. We have the Stronghold. The art is literally the best art I have seen on a Stronghold in the game. It has the perfect mix of realism and surrealism. I love it. Um, yeah, no complaints about that. I've even messaged the artist because I want to get this on a playmat. The High House of Light. Yes, or Kuden Tagashi, as it's called. Interestingly noted, because you can't get there unless Tagashi wants you to. There are, in fact, three or four of them, but if you find the wrong one, you haven't actually reached the High House of Light. No one's really sure exactly what it looks like, because when you try and go there, you may not be actually going to the High House of Light itself. You might find yourself in a valley or in another sort of temple or shrine, and then it's like, well, you weren't worthy to get there, so, you know. You can't have any. Plus three province strength. Nice and beefy, uh, matching the crab. We have seen that make things very hard to break. And that's pretty decent, especially if you think about it paired with Sacred Sanctuary, where it becomes a five strength province then, which is pretty delicious. 11 honor starting, seven fate, and seven influence, which we'll get back to in a second. It's a temple, which isn't relevant. During a conflict, Balmish Stronghold, choose a participating monk character you control. That character cannot be chosen as the target of an opponent's event this conflict. If you have played five or more cards this conflict, also move one fate from a ring to that character. Immunity on defense is good, right? Mm, Sure. If you attack my Sacred Sanctuary and I have my Mitsu and I ready my Mitsu, my first action is be like, lol, Mitsu's immune. That's good. Immune immune to events, anyway. Mm -hmm. That's pretty decent. The second ability... If I have played five or more cards, I get a fate onto a character. It's good, too. I mean... I mean, is that good? I mean, it's like, oh, you've massively burned through your hand. I mean, I think one fate getting back is the least you can do. I think if you're playing five or more cards, <laughs> you you have bigger, worse problems off than uh, having one fate access to you. No, I think you need to view this in the context of, like, late game... You know, for example, your opponent hits Sacred Sanctuary, your tower defends, you know, your tower doesn't have any fate on it, right? Sure. But you have like a finger of jade on it, so it's protected from events. You have a massive blowout conflict where your opponent is trying to break your stronghold. (coughs) You both play loads of cards, you play Hurricane Punches, so you're drawing, you use Mitsu, and, you know, at the end of that, your tower is still alive, right? Because you put an extra fate on it. Sure. You know, the stronghold is good because it gives you two options. If it had either one of these abilities, it would be much worse by itself. The one thing, the main question, right, 
is this ability worth an influence penalty of four or five? Um, I'm I'm not I'm I'm not even sure if this ability is good enough. If it had full influence cost, like what's the idea here? Like we don't want the monks de- uh, dealing around with other clan cards. Realistically, um, which is fine. I mean, you already have let go was the most sought after s- splash card of the game anyway. So anything that you splash is kind of gravy. Yeah, but. We do need to splash cards. I mean, splashing cards is a big part of the power boost in this game, right? You know, you can't, you can't not have splash. At seven, at seven, you are not grabbing any any clans like three influence costs and bringing like three copies of that in. You know, no. So the only reason this influence is justified is if the monk cards coming in this pack are so broken that you know you have to do it. But then, if they're that good you would just run the other stronghold and you'd run the full influence, the best cards from another clan as well. Like the problem with this, this penalty is that Mount Zavil Castle rewards towers. This stronghold also rewards towers. It has a bit more flexibility, but there's no point putting a one fate on a guy that isn't, isn't beefy. So, you know, if you're building a tower, you'd play Mount Zavil Castle. If you're not, then you wouldn't play this either. Maybe. I don't know. It's just, it seems it seems like a bit of a huge penalty, and it w- makes me wonder if maybe the ability on this stronghold was better when they originally put the influence cost down, and if it then got worse after they changed it, and they didn't put the influence back up. That's a question. I don't know. The only way I'm really taken away from that is, like, you know, choosing a good character that can't be the target of an opponent's event is decent it's pretty you know i'll be it's pretty good as far as stronghold abilities go uh that being said we are also in a meta environment where we have more access to actions on attachments actions on characters actions on holdings uh so it's not quite as devastating as it would have been like a year ago yeah. Um, we're going to look into some of the other monk cards. It's like a lot of combo ish things. Uh, but a lot of them are like tattoo attachments. I don't know. I just don't use the, the normal dragon box and just like get big while I'm also like slapping on all these tattoos on myself. Yeah, exactly. And that mountain temple castle will always be quite strong. Anyway, I think that one plays out on testing. I can see a more like defensive combo focused dragon deck if we get enough things that draw cards could use this to have its towers like outlast its opponent's rush but whether that will work any better than what we've currently been doing with reprieve i don't think so i'm not sure and whether it's worth the three for uh, three influence penalty well i'll tell you what because i don't want to sit here and look at the uh every podcast is looking at all of these things anything standing out to you only thing that's really special to me seems to be dragon tattoo which is a two fate attachment plus two militaries plus zero political tattoo attached to a character control attached character gains the tattoo trait restricted reaction after you play an event that that chooses attached character as a target Play that event again, paying all costs. Uh, you may choose new targets. Remove that event from the game. That seems very good. Very, very, very good. Pretty awesome. So things this does work with are things like Hurricane Punch. Um, things like Soul Beyond Reproach. So you trigger Soul Beyond Reproach. You can trigger it on someone else, <coughs> which is fun. Uh, things it doesn't work with, Void Fist, sadly. Um, anything you replay using Mitsu. Uh, this doesn't work with because it's already on the bottom of the deck when it would be replayed, so you can't replay it, um, and that sort of thing. It also doesn't work on cards that can only be played like max one per conflict or one per round, right? So you can't bonsai twice, right? Exactly. But you could do something like Rising Star Carter, I think. Um, no, that might be once per round as well. It is. Um, okay, so yeah, there's lots of problems with it. But, you know, if we get one more good card that targets, like Hurricane Punch, then this will be a great card to put in, and it will be a really powerful attachment that will kick a lot of people around the place. And something that I was like uh, I was arguing about on the last pause podcast, what do you think of Austere Exemplar? This is oh, a- it's just awesome. This is a three-cost character, two military, three political, zero glory, monk tattooed action. During a conflict in which this character is attacking, spend one fate to an unclaimed ring. Take three actions. Max one per conflict. You like this card? Yes. 
Yes, yes, very much so. Lay, lay me out um, a plan of how this card's going to be useful. All right, so the main current counter to Void Fist, hmm. aside from actual counters, is winning the stat race, right? Sure. So if you can get hmm. ahead of me in stats before I Void Fist you, then I can't Void Fist you, which Phoenix are quite good at, um, which, you know, Lion can be good at, which Scorpion can sort of do tricksy things around with right so the main problem with void fist is i have to go bonsai hurricane punch void fist right mm. <coughs> which yeah. is fine because you have to play those cards but equally if your opponent ends up on 10 and you end up on nine then it feels bad however if i can take three actions that i can go buff something else void fist before you have a chance to play your supernatural storm times three or your anything like that and send your characters away. Okay. Me, even more powerful is if I have multiple Void Fists, I can play a card, you play a card, you get a buff, I get a buff, we're on we're on par, and then I play another card, another card, we're matched on buffs, okay, trigger this, then I play three Void Fists before you can do anything, okay. right? Now, here's a question. Uh, can you lay down a scenario that would be useful without Void Fist? Well, um... Yes, actually. Uh, in the Dueling Dishonor deck, being okay. able to do three duels back-to-back without um, your opponent being able to respond. So, for example... Just checking uh, a bunch of Duel to the Deaths out? No, no, like Justicar's approach. So, like, for shame, for shame, Justicar's, that's a dead character. Uh, for shame, um, followed by a Duel to the Death, it's a dead character. Um, you know... It, it, you could turn on a kill combo without your opponent getting a chance to re-honor their guy, for example. Um, other times, I mean, Daisetsu is useful if you can trigger him and something else. Um, he's very useful with Tutori, the new Tutori, because you can take three actions, and the last one is to say your opponent can't do any cards from hand. Um, I think I think this is a very interesting card where there's going to be a lot of different ways that it can combo and work well together. Air quotes, I'm, interesting. <laughs> I'm, no, no, but it's not badly statted. It's three for a two-three. Zero glory is important, and I think that there's going to be fun ways to use this ability. I was, I, I've been poo-pooing on this card. I don't really like it, only because there. Sure, you, we have your void fist, and we have a few of these. There's combos that exist. I'm not saying there's not, but like on average, if you take three actions to my one, I'm usually pretty happy because you kind of overcommitted whatever you're trying to do. And unless you're like trying to do one of these cases where it's like, hey, I need to do this, that here. How often are we in a situation where that's really going to come up, right? So, what if my three actions are? Trigger Tagashi Ishii, break the province. Chasing the sun to another province. And then, assuming Tagashi Ishii has a dragon tattoo, break that again. I mean, it's possible. See, but my, all these things are possible. You're not wrong. My only concern is every every just all the scenarios you're talking about is like combos. we're talking about they're really good combos, but we're we're talking about scenarios that are all in different clans with different like very different board states. What I'm looking for this guy is. Where is he consistency-wise? Sure, if you've got this card in this situation with this target out there and stuff, he could do amazing things. But what about, you know, it's turn one. He's the only character in your row for whatever reason. You buy him. I don't think you buy this guy on turn one. What I'm saying, like the situation where he's the only character in your row, you know? You flipped a bunch of holding city by this guy. But if he's the only character in your row, he's a 2-3 monk with zero glory. He's not bad to buy, right? Mm. But but look, he he's a combo enabler, right? If there's sure. a deck that has combos which mm. you need to trigger quickly without your opponent responding too much, then you have you have this, right? Yeah, no, I don't and get no, that. There's no problems there. I'm just kind of wondering how many how many how many combos can we get into a monk deck? Which you know, to be fair, a monk deck is always like traditionally supposed to be a combo centric deck. I'm just only wondering like, what are we doing here? No, but my autofocus monk deck, right? Trigger this guy's ability. Play down a greater understanding. Before you let it go, trigger my triangle philosopher. Gain three honor. And then do something else, right? Mm. Sure, sure. And in, in that situation, if I get my combo, 
he's in play and I can trigger my combo without giving you a chance to like let go of my attachment or something like that, then it becomes highly valuable. And, and there are a lot of combos where your opponent could do something horrible if they had a chance to react, like Unadorned Barcher and Unicorn, for example, where you don't want to give them a chance to let it go. So if you have him in the conflict and you have, you know, Tagashi Hoshi at home and you chuck an Unadorned Barcher on him and then move him to the conflict, bow someone before your opponent can let it go. You know, all of these things, I think, are good because a lot of the times the counter to these things requires an action from your opponent. And I think if you take away that window, you'll find a lot more negative play experiences, but also powerful effects. We'll see. I mean, this might be the one I'm wrong on, but... um, I I mean, it's only as good as the rest of the cards in the pack, right? Yeah. And turning our attention to my gorgeous, gorgeous man husband, uh, Tagashi Hoshi. Yeah. Um, he has a dragon behind him in the art because he is part dragon. That's why he's a creature. No, in the old game, he was a half dragon centaur creature. Oh, he still is like a half dragon centaur creature, but he he could always change. That's just what he preferred to be in because he was badass. Uh, six for a five five three glory monk creature fire mythic awesome. No attachments except monk or tattoo which is good. Um, detach an attachment from a character you control and turn it into a character. If that character card has a printed attachment card type, its force and military skill are equal to its printed force and military skill modifiers, and it has zero glory. Okay. Now, before we start, I have I've let you talk in the past about Aranat. I have let you talk about the Emperor. I've given you a lot of rope to hang yourself with. The Emperor turned out to be quite good. Oh, sure. Show me the deck the Emperor is being played in. Uh, Show it to me. He was being played in Scorpion and Phoenix for a while. I mean, okay. <laughs> I'm just saying he was being played. Aranat is ahead of his time. There are decks with Aranat in it. I, you know, I'm, not, I'm just saying, I'm like, uh, I don't know how competitive these decks are, you know? No, Aranat's, Aranat's just ahead of his time. Okay. The world wasn't ready for the Mystic Unicorn. That's actually a deer. Um, I know, right? I'm All I'm saying is, you have a great track record of like calling out six costers. So, what do you what do you think of Hoshi here? Oh no, I mean his ability is like ridiculously bad for a six cost character, right? I mean, you have to play an attachment. If you if it's your opponent's attachment, you give them a creature. Um, you have to have another card on the table to enable his ability. And even then, you get that attachment for the rest of the turn. So you're paying two fate for what a, a two zero. If you turn a dragon tattoo into a into a character, he is like there. There are edge plays where you like attach a Kazaway. Okay, for example, if you had an austere, austere exemplar and a Tagashi Hoshi in play, you could attach Tagashi Kazaway to Hoshi, trigger her ability to Hoover some fate, and then put her into play, right? Sure. So she couldn't be let go or stolen. Sure. Yeah. So there are things like that that work with him. But really, I don't understand why this ability is necessary. Good. Like, we want our attachments to stick around. Mm. So, you know, like, is there is no, there's nothing that rewards me for my attachments leaving. So why would I want to turn them off? Like, even if a character's leaving play at the end of a turn, the attachments are going to be on that character in the conflict when I want them. And then afterwards, I guess, after the first conflict, I could take them away. But I don't know. It puzzles me, really. It puzzles me why this character is the way he is. In a world of, like, unimpressive six costers, I think Hoshi here is, like, the most unimpressive uh, of all so far. Impressive because dragon. Unimpressive because shit. Um, is a bit sad, really. Um, the art's gorgeous. I do want to put him into a deck with uh, Hoshi, uh, Satsu, not Satsu, Mitsu, and Yukuni, and just like Soul Beyond Reproach. And suddenly my 5 fives turn into 8 eights, and everyone is happy. But I also like his little his little trait he has here: no attachments except monk or tattoo. So you can't even like get like value out of throwing a fine katana on this guy, and then having a little animated fine katana running around. No, you just give him two dragon tattoos, and then he punches people three times. I mean, if you give him a bunch of dragon tattoos, and then you like turn the dragon tattoo into a little uh, two zero 
weedy character, that is a sad use for this very, very impressive attachment. No, no, I mean, the majority of what you're going to use this for is just removing your opponent's attachments, right? Because, like, no Cloud the Mind, no thank you, no Mark of Shame, no thank you. But the problem with that situation is it gives them a character. It's like, I'll take off your Cloud the Mind, and now you get a 0-0. Zero, zero. Yeah. Cool, bro. I'll bonsai that 0-0. Zero, zero. Thank you. <laughs> I'll tell you what, is there anything else in this uh, uh, Seekers of Wisdom pack that's really standing out to you you want to talk about? No, so, wait, wait, wait. Let's talk about the Phoenix character, because this is the ability that Hoshi should have had, right? Okay, sure. Okay. During a conflict with this character's participating, choose an unclaimed ring, switch that ring with a ring in your claimed ring pool, and gain all fate on it. It's a 4-2-5 daimyo. Sure. If Hoshi had this ability, he would be amazing. Mm, Okay. Maybe. Because he would pay for himself, and it would be awesome. And it's better. Than what he has so i'm just gonna leave it at that i think we're done talking about that i don't you know <laughs> okay we'll have to see the rest of the cards before we decide if the pack is a bust i've i've read about all these cards uh not too long ago yeah asaka uh, asako togama he unimpresses me as a phoenix only be, uh, specifically because his ability is not doing that much where phoenix has a very competitive uh slot of four costers and he is not a shigenja other than the dragon tattoo, I'm not seeing anything that's really wowing me about dragon or anything that's going to like re- revolutionize uh, what their um, their spot is. You know, dragon tattoo doesn't necessarily just have to be attached to a dragon character. Does it say monk only? I don't know that it does. No, it says it gives people tattoo the tattoo trait. It doesn't even have to be attached to a tattooed monk. It can be attached to anyone. I'm like. So anyone could splash dragon tattoo. If and you it's want got three, three influence, you know, so. Yeah, so no one is going to splash it, but, you know, they could. And then it's your lion playing double way of the lion on their character every turn, and you're just like, please stop. Please stop. I don't want you to anymore. Let us move on, because that is a preview that just came out for Secrets of Wisdom. A actual pack that did come out recently was Children of Heaven. I literally, like, I haven't really been playing since uh, since Gen Con. I've been worried, focused on Roku Con right now. So I like blung it, like, holy crap, is Children of Heaven out right now? Completely caught me unawares. I mean, I don't, I don't have it yet myself, but I have played with it. Is there anything interesting in here? Well, we've got three dragon cards in here. Is anything any of these dragon cards uh, speaking to you? What what are we gonna do here to uh, turn dragons' fate around? We see another. We got another uh, tattooed monk. We got a courtier, and we have a technique. Another one cost monk as well, which is exactly what the monk deck needs. It actually needs more four cost monks, but one cost monks are fine, I guess. Uh, he's fine. After you win a conflict, gain a fate from an unclaimed ring. Kind of useful for that turn two attack. If you don't want to attack the ring that has fate on it, you can attack a different ring. Or if you do attack a ring with fate on, you can always attack another ring. Um, bit of an anti-combo with Tranquil Philosopher because, you know, with Tranquil Philosopher, you dump all the fate on one ring and then you don't have to worry about not getting it. Let's say, Lord note, Togashi Yoshi is also the one of the pre-made characters for the RPG Beginner's Box Set. Yes. Then Truth Seeker, not very good. You look at the top three cards of the deck and put them back in any order. All right in the Dishonored Dueling deck because you can get yourself down to one bid and then sort of um, tweak things. It's not bad to have more courtiers. That's fine. Rising Stars Carter is good. It's the one that gives you plus three military or plus five if you want a duel. Um, but it can only target unique characters, which at the moment is still a bit of a restriction for Dragon, because we don't have that many unique duelists. If I wasn't so, like, interested in other cards, I'd be interested in this with Crane, if I had a lot more influence to work with, because I, I enjoy the fact that some of these cards, like, what's the other Dragon dueling card that triggers after you win a duel? Uh, store, no, Magnificent Victory. Yeah. Plus two, plus two, and makes you immune. I mean, we don't play that one because immunity is neat, but we've, uh, one of the reasons why immunity doesn't really, like, wow us that much is because a surprising amount of these things, the actions in this game don't actually target your opponent. 
Yeah, which is weird. But. So the force bo- you really get it for the force bonus. And if I've just won a duel, well, why do I need another force bonus? Presumably I'm one of the strongest characters around, right? I like how this one will give you plus three regardless, and then it will kick it up to a plus five if you have won a duel. So it's like... It is, it is good. It is powerful. It's just the restriction is mm-hmm. odd. And a lot of the times... Like like a lot of people use Banzai to poke, right? I mean, sure. attack with a one cost. Oh, you don't do anything to it. Cool, I'll yeah. Banzai. See if I can take yeah. a province. Like, it's fine. Uh, other interesting cards, right? Daisetsu is interesting. Daisetsu um, is very nice. I'm happy with him. The three glory is a bit painful, but equally he's worth it. Um, Solbiol Reproach on Daisetsu gives you a mad, mad courtier. So what do we get? We got four cost, three military, four glory, three glory, uh, or four political, three glory. A courtier, imperial, crown prince. He has sincerity. Action during a military conflict in which this character is participating. Choose a participating character. Until the end of the conflict, treat that character as if its printed text box were blank. So he is a mobile cloud the mine. Uh, it only works while he's uh, during the conflict he's in, but that could be very devastating. His sincerity is a bit of a joke because he's a forecast character, but you know, there's flavor reasons which we can't really argue with. Um, he's just good. His his glory can be a bit of a penalty against Scorpion, but that's funny in and of itself. I think it's odd because he is he is a very good answer to cards like Tadaka. Now that Tadaka has largely fallen out of the meta, um. He is a great, if you're uh, playing a game and you have some matchup where a certain character is just eating your lunch all the time, he is a great solution to whatever clan might be in that situation at any given time. Assuming that character is assigned to political conflicts, which they are. Um, yeah, he, he's just good stats. He's good stats. He's good ability. He's just generally happy. Happy to see him on the board. Best boy I said to. Jen, overall, I don't know if he's quite good enough to make it into decks unless, like, unless you have, like I said, you're you're trying to solve a specific problem. Well, like um, a shortage I, of courtiers is a, is one that he helps sure. solve. I mean, that, right there, I think uh, uh, light and unicorn players could stand to look at him just to like heavily bolster their horrible uh, political and stuff. But um, yeah, unless you're uh, unless you are a crane who can take serious advantage of that three glory and stuff, that three glory is going to be much more of a detriment now that uh, many clans are running around with uh, market shame at the moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the glory is a bit of a hit and miss, but he is quite a good character to have around. I think the most interesting card in this pack is Regal Bearing. Sure. That's the one that people are building entire decks around right now. Well, I think you would. I think it's a very, very strong card. And I think, you know, if you build right, you can take good advantage of it. So this is one cost. During a political conflict in which you control a participating courtier like Daisetsu, uh, set the bid on your honor dial to one and draw cards equal to the difference between your honor bid and that of your opponent. So ideal situation, your opponent bids five, you bid one. They give you four honor, then you start a conflict and you say, oh, lol, you drew more cards than me. No, I'm going to draw the four anyway. Even more ideal, you then play Maze of Illusions, set your honor bid back up to five, and then play Regal Bearing the next time there's a political conflict well, that turn. Well, you don't, you don't have to, that's the thing, you don't have to pre-plan uh, this thing. Um, it sets the honor dial for you. So, and like, we're in a game right now where the meta like has everyone drawing five almost constantly until people start going near, like getting ready to dishonor out. So, like 90% of the time, this thing is just like, hey, pay one uh, fate, draw four cards. That is massive. No, but it's, it's not going to be that for much longer. I mean, it it turns on um, it turns on warm welcome by itself, and it turns on composure. Yeah, it it it, it, it turns all those things on in a world where they were not on previously. I think it was intended to be like, hey, if you're bidding one because you're uh, theoretically an honor runner, this will help you catch up. Um, but, uh, yeah, almost any, well, I, I like to say anyone could play this, but like, yeah, now I'm wondering like how many clans actually have reliable amount of courtiers to play. I mean, Crane's going to be playing this thing. Like, Crane, Scorpion, Dragon, uh, Lion, lots of clans, I think. Uh, the thing is like, this is the thing. If this is in your opponent's deck, you have to change your bidding strategy, right? Sure. You can't have this, you can't have this go off. You need to bid three sure. or something, but 
you don't know if it's in your opponent's deck, right? I mean, is that not a is that not a win of itself? Like, let's, you you see, you know, I have regal bearing. What are you What are you going to bid against me, Finbar? Are you, are you, are you going to bid three? Like, you bid three. I bid, you bid three. I bid five, and now I'm winning. You know, I've got an inherent value just because you are scared of one card. You know, it's still a win win situation. I'll start taking you on, and that'll be fine with me. But um. I think, no, but this card out of any of the ones I've seen does actually have power to change the bid five meta. And it's the only one I've seen that does potentially have that power because the risk is too great. Um, you know, that your opponent could start dishonoring you and also draw the cards. And I think we'll see people, a lot of people experimenting with it. We'll probably see fluctuation waves where sometimes it's indexed and it's switched on and other times it's not indexed and people are metering against it and they're not. I think it will it'll fluctuate. So we'll have to see how much of an impact this has. Um, but I think it has the biggest potential to change at least something. I, I I find it interesting, specifically with the Aspiring Challenger, which is the Mantis dueling card that no one remembers. As a reminder, it's cost two. It's a 2-2 two, two with one glory. Bushi Duelist Mantis uh, Clan. Uh, composure, get character is plus two glory uh, whenever you have Composure. Action, during this conflict, uh, initiate a duel, resolve the duel, honor the winner's duel. So you can actually... Uh, put him in a polit- political conflict, do his duel, and then use Regal Bearing on top of getting like a bunch of Buku cards from Regal Bearing. Now this guy is a 5-5. Five five. I mean, it's a thing. It's the most consistent we think I fought for Aspiring Challenger yet, so. <laughs> I mean, it's not a, it's not a good thing. Um... It, it does underline how, like, I like composure as a concept but none of of the abilities that were printed with composure are strong enough to encourage people to actually try to bid low yeah exactly i mean that that ability isn't isn't changing the mold there unfortunately i'm just looking Um, at that in in my in my my ever purview of hey i'm a duelist i'm gonna slap as many things that say duels and duelists into my decades constantly that's the reason my brain went to that one aspiring (laughs) challenger is bad if it honors your opponent and good if it works for you which automatically means you can't play it because it's too risky. Something that's in the like the inverse of that card is Iron Crane Legion. Uh, four cost, X military, three political, two glory, Bushi army, no attachment weapon. During conflicts in which you are attacking or defending player, X is equal to the number of cards in your opponent's hand. So this guy is just like... <laughs> seven to nine military if not much much more all the time for costs might as well just write unlimited military (laughs) yeah i mean go the problem with him is that he goes down based on your opponent's decisions the longer the fight goes on sure so you know you could potentially see yourself having a really really tiny guy just because you know your opponent decided to drop loads of cards and win the conflict it's hard to count on. It's a, a it's, a it's a possibility, but I'm also I, I once again I'm in the situation of hey I buy this guy I come and attack you you start playing a bunch of cards to uh, weaken him like uh okay I'm losing this battle now but hey now I I am severely ahead of you in card advantage presumably if I'm being smart with my counter card plays right yeah but it's just one of those things where it's hard to you know you want to be able to rely on it I guess is what I mean. Um, but no, I do get it. I think he is quite good. I think he's quite good against the bid five meta. I think um, his power level is set quite high. Um, I guess I've just been playing Dishonor Dueling for a bit recently, so I'm used to card cards and hands being a lot smaller. Let's see. So I'm not always talking about crane cards. What card that I have, this is where I'm going to start getting crazy. This is where you can call me an idiot. Uh, I'm interested in Emperor's Summons. It is a Air Province, five uh, province strength, seeker roll only, reaction. After this province is revealed, search your dynasty deck for a character card and put it face up into a non-stronghold province you control. Discard each other card in that province. Shuffle. Okay, so I realize I'm being crazy. Bear with me now. Um, we have a lot of this in this game. We have a lot of these cards that are like these characters that are really cool. And, but you need a certain amount of synergy with the rest of your deck to like, uh, warrant being in there. Um, with Emperor Summons, I think it's possible to build a deck strategy around a single character. Cause this one almost guarantees that, 
he's going to show up. So for my instance, like going back to Crane, uh, new Doji Hotaru is the inverse uh, watch commander. Every time you play a card, uh, she gains an honor. Um, maybe I play this uh, Emperor Summons. I use her and the next turn I buy her. And then I spend the rest of the game forcing her at every conflict in the game and uh, gaining an ex- uh, a ridiculous amount of honor possibility. Yeah, but you see, the problem is that you're your idea of reliability is instantly distorted by the variance inherent in this cards or in the design of, you know, the province system entirely. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when do you want that card to show up? Do you want it to show up turn one? Because it's not going to, because they're not going to hit this province turn, right? Do you need it to show up every single game? Well, it might not because they might not hit this province if they hit three before going to your stronghold, Mm -hmm. you know, the inherent province system makes the perception of reliability that might be the case with this card actually unreliable. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, so that's what I have to say to that, which is sadly no. I don't think it does allow you to build your deck around some, you know, around a card any more than anything else does. I think it it, it doesn't doesn't do that any better. Okay. Uh, one thing I do think is going to be something on the strong side, so we get stop talking about our own plans. Uh, out of Phoenix, Starry Heaven Sanctuary. It is a holding with plus one province strength, limit one per deck. Those things are always very pop- popular. Uh, Temple Void. Reaction. After fate is removed from characters in the fate phase, if four or more char- uh, fate was removed, gain to fate. This doesn't say if four or more fate from your characters was removed. It just says four or more fate period was removed gain of fate this kind of just says gain two fate every round maybe not consistently but enough to warrant inclusion as a you know one x card in a deck i'd slot it it'd be very bad when it happens but yeah uh i don't know i think you've got too many good um cards in phoenix to fit this in um and also i think that your opponent could do a lot to stop this from triggering so i don't know and also remember, it, it doesn't work against Scorpion because they won't have as much fate on their characters either. So yeah, I think it will trigger a lot less reliably than people might hope. Okay. Anything else you're seeing that's really interesting, really catches your fancy? Uh, not really. I found this pack to be a bit lackluster, to be honest. Um, maybe that's just my current mood. But This Crab Air province is interesting. Probably not now, but I think he's going to have more life when he gets to that future hyper uh, wall crab deck when their box shows up uh yeah maybe fortified assembly you have to give up um manicured gardens i mean if this thing works as intended it might be worth a dollar like so fortified assembly three province strength cannot be a stronghold province this province gets plus two province strength for each honor token on it reaction after an attack is declared against this province gain one honor token on it so you attack this thing once if you could defend this thing once it becomes a five province. Uh, uh, defend it again. Now we're at seven. I mean, very quick. Like if you don't like attack this thing twice and don't defend it, it basically becomes uncrackable at a certain point. Yeah, that's true. But then your opponent just goes somewhere else, I suppose. Sure. I mean, right, um, right to. I don't uh, know. I mean, <laughs> upholding authority or something uh, like that. I guess it works with the wall provinces, where if you defend them, you get benefits. Um, it kind of combos with that. If you don't attack this province, your opponent loses an honor card a bit. Because um, obviously, if your opponent attacks this province and doesn't take it, then they're at a disadvantage. But if they attack this province, you know, if they don't attack the province, they lose an honor. So maybe something there. I'm not sure. Uh, let's move on to listener questions. Finbar, we have not gotten a Mia Mistiv in quite some time let us see what our adoring fans have to say about us why don't you start with it oh lord what is your opinion right serious questions on turtles versus tortoises what is that for these turtles questions i don't get it (laughs) i was of the opinion that they were the same thing or like there's a very small size difference i know that terrapins are very very small compared to larger turtles but Okay, I think tortoises are better because you get the giant variety. My opinion is in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the movie 2, I believe, the Ninja Turtles are turtles. And 
the horrible abomination things that Master Shredder creates are tortoises. So tortoises are evil. That's what I have. Okay, cool. We'll go with that. Um, <laughs> serious questions. Thoughts on the rumored restricted list that's been going around? And this is a pretty big question. So the rumored restricted list, I don't know the extents of the rumors. Uh, Neat and Master off. Feast or Famine off. Uh, consumed by Five Fires on. And then some other bits that I'm not sure about going on as well. I swear to God, if they take the Feast or Famine off the moment that Crane has lost fire, I'm going to be rather miffed. I think the point was that no one picked fire and they were like, oh, but no one's taken fire at all. So maybe we need to unrestrict this. But Feast went on there for a reason. I mean, that is a a devastatingly game warping card that I am. Frankly, even like, I'm glad I had a dead roll for the entire length of summer this year, just because for the sake of taking that card out of the environment. Yeah, I do kind of agree. I think having that card non-restricted is a bit of a questionable decision just because it is so impactful. We'll see. We'll see how it works out. That said, what, what do I feel about the rumored RO list? So FFG is a real leaky boat, and there are leaks and spoilers for all kinds of things all over the place online if you know where to look or know who to ask. That said, the restricted list, the rumors are almost never accurate. They're very, I can't think of too many rumors I've seen floating online that have proven to be the case. Uh, so I don't put much weight into rumored RL list, uh, additions, subtractions, whatever, until it actually comes out. So a lot of these products, like they get play tested, they get shopped around, they get sent to people. They're, th- they're just kind of in the environment. It's kind of easy for them to lose. I'm pretty sure that I'm sure there's like a committee or something who has to make the decisions, but they can just like change the PDF the night before the restricted list comes out. So I think they just kind of like make decisions, uh, they might change the decisions at the last minute, you know, or I don't know who the overall governing body is. I mean, obviously Tyler Parrott has, I'll, I'll even say 90% of the sway of what goes on and off that list and stuff. But there are other, other people who have inputs that go into it. And I don't know what the process of making a final decision, you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, what do you think about the Bologna Kotai attendance? I think we've already covered oh, yeah, that. We talked about that, yeah. Is the boat, the lion pack, on real, or is the boat a metaphor? Again, I think we've already discussed that. I mean, it may be somewhere. When you're when you're alone at night, I need you to look out the window and look for a shooting star, and I want you to close your eyes and I want you to pray. I want you to pray, pray, pray so hard that the lion pack comes up for worlds. <laughs> And your yeah. your wishes and your dreams will p- compel the boat forward and it will be there and it will have a bunch of meta warping cards that will make Lion mid to top tier. And know that every other clan player is not wishing the same thing. Who's more powerful? I want it. I'm tired of hanging out. I've got like uh, two or three lions in my play group. It's like freaking like the emo concert over here and stuff. So sad. Unicorns aren't doing much better either. <laughs> no, no, they're fine. They just need to keep the optimism up, right? The lion pack will be out soon. It is full of awesome cards. Um, it's just been delayed for some reason, which will. Even though the story, their clan champion is crying in a cave right now, being the most objectively. Uh, biggest failure that the Empire has ever seen. Lions, it's not good to be lying right now. Spoilers. I have not read any of the story recently. Hey, spoilers. Tatori's lame, if you guys didn't know. (laughs) Yeah, to be fair, I I don't really read the uh, the story that often anyway. Uh, That's a whole episode-long question about the world's meta that I don't really feel like tackling now. I will, you know what I know about the world's meta? I haven't played this game since Gen Con. I've been busy with convention stuff, man. I have been, but we need to see the, um, like, we need to see what the new restricted list is going to look like before we start I, making decisions like that. I was saying, are we quite certain? So we know, obviously, like, Pack 4, Children of Heaven, is going to be legal for worlds. We don't know which clan pack is going to make it out there. Do we have a guess if, um,. Uh, pack five is going to be out right now. Ah. Not the foggiest clue, 
I personally think that it will come out the week before Worlds, but won't be legal. That's my take on the legality. For uh, We may or may not have the crab pack. I think the lion pack has run into some sort of error, possibly misprinting. And I think the pack five will be out and available for purchase, possibly five or six days before Worlds and not legal. So I would not test Shira Kitsuki with the hope of playing it at Worlds. I would say if you play, uh, if you get like with Children of Heaven, I think you have enough cards to get a make a good firm assumption of what the meta is going to be like. Um, everything else, I don't, I haven't paid too much close attention, but I don't think I've seen anything that's like super warping that would um, come out in pack five or any of these other packs that would drastically change things. Only thing that's really the, the, the question mark is Lion Pack. And people are going to have to learn how to play and play against Lion. Yes, which is why we really need to figure out, FFG, if you're listening, whether or not it's going to come out before Worlds so that we can start testing Mind. Oh, I don't think they're ever going to announce a release date ever again. (laughs) I know, right? But it also makes our life impossible, because how can I test for a meta if I don't know what it's going to actually be? They were going to be big boys this year. I would rather, then, if they just came out with a statement and said... But due to uncertainty about when the Lion Pack is going to come out, it's not going to be legal for Worlds. That is that is that is the compromise. Don't tell us when it's going to come out. Just tell us that it's not going to be legal. At the end of 2018, Tyler Parrott pointed to the sign in the stands, the WrestleMania sign, and he said, "Listen, Children of the Empire is going to be out in mid-January." And almost immediately, factories in China started exploding. Yeah, but they were doing that anyway, and there was a trade war. It wasn't like it was his fault. I mean, it's not, it's not the fault, but I'm just saying, like, it's this exact reason why FFG never, like, gives hard dates. And the one time yes. they're the most confident in trying to give it a date, though it's the worst it's ever been. As someone who's only paid attention to Fantasy Flight for, like, a couple of years now, this is the worst. Other listener questions... Do we expect the Grand Championships in Madrid and Lyon to show hints of the world's meta? We don't know what the world's meta is, so no, but maybe, probably, no. I'll I'll say this. um, I'm not sure, only because, and this is not to start the infamous, uh, you know, back and forth feud, uh, European players play differently than American players. They play differently. So, um, I can't. I, if you were look to to uh, Madrid and France, um, I would bet you're going to see some things there that will not be at Worlds. Maybe they should be. They probably should be, but they won't be there. And America, what I can tell you from Worlds, what I did last year, uh, America has their uh, their dark horses too. They have some people des- texting some stuff. Uh, that uh, lion. Uh, Scorpion Splash deck came out of nowhere and did a lot of damage before anyone realized what was go- happening last year. No, we saw that one coming. Okay. We just didn't think that it was going to be consistent enough. Uh, the answer is yes, because it's close enough to Worlds that people will be testing World decks. The answer is also no, unless we get the restricted list for Worlds and we figure out what's actually coming out at Worlds before. Basically, it depends entirely on the release schedule. Hmm. If there was a single card you could remove from the game, what would it be? I'm not tackling that now because that's very complicated. <laughs> um, I think we could we could easily do like that and the something like world's meta thing on a whole podcast. Um, why did Finbar spend a night in a brothel? I did not. When people gave him much more respectable hotel options, so so he recommend. I I was asking for last minute recommendations on hotels in. DC, because I hadn't had a chance to book one, right? Yep. Okay. Tsar recommended two hotels. I'm tired, right? And and I thought, he travels a lot for business. He probably knows what a decent hotel is. So I just took one of his recommendations, looked at it, had decent reviews. So I thought, fuck it, and booked it because I didn't have a lot of time, right? I get there. Outside, there are like naked Grecian statues of women holding jugs like the Grecian statues do. Uh, wearing very very little inside it looks kind of like a nightclub and then the room is full of like red leather and 90s decor and i'm like what the basically it was a very outdated hotel that reminded me of various scenes from the 50 shades of gray movie namely tons of red leather everywhere right and i'm just like why did you send me here and he's like oh i haven't stayed there in 10 years 
I wanted to see if they redecorated. I'm like, what the hell? If you haven't stayed somewhere in 10 years, then don't don't recommend it to me. You know? I, I saw photos of your, your room that you had posted, and I promise you, there are some jewels somewhere in that hotel that if you insert it into the statue, it will unlock a hidden area. I promise you this. I mean, that would have been fun, you know. But as always, all that really mattered is that there was a soft bed and the couple in the room next door stopped arguing at like 10 o'clock, right? Me and uh, Max re- recently went to Toronto and I usually leave uh, plans up to Max because I'm terrible at him. And then plans got, uh, I thought we were taken care of, partly we weren't. So we just like, okay, where's the hotel room? Here, uh, our friend Eric uh, gave us a link. They're like, okay, here's a hotel. Book this one. Okay, great. Because it's on a hotels.com. We're just like, something cheap, something in Toronto. We're not picky. You know, we've stayed in worse. Well, that, we haven't stayed in anything worse than this one. Uh, we get there, and it is not a hotel. It is a hostel. And it felt very hostile. Oh, okay. Because hostels <laughs> could usually be good, but. And, and, and we're in a situation where it's like, yeah, we're hanging out on this guy's porch for a couple of hours, waiting for, uh, like, some lady with, like, three cell phones to try to coordinate and find out where a room is and stuff. I'm a large guy, so they're like, oh, we're going to – very lucky we get to upcharge you so we can get a bigger bed and stuff. I'm like, thanks. Um what it is it, it uh it is a tiny little closet of a room with two like take it from me i was in the navy for five years one of the nights at gen con i slept on the floor it was comfy this was the most uncomfortable cot i've ever slept on in my entire life in a very humid room with zero windows no air at all like at one point max turns on the bathroom uh fan just to get airflow going in the room <laughs> There's a lot of shifty people floating around all over the place, but fortunately, like since I'm like three times larger than everyone else, no one was going to mess with us. So, <laughs> fair enough. Um, I can't say I've had that experience. I tend to stay in places that are very well reviewed. But anyway, that is listener questions done. If we have not answered yours, we will get to them at another date. Thank you to our listeners. Uh, just a bit of housekeeping. So the LCG and the RPG podcasts have, due to listener feedback, been split into two separate streams under the Court Game banner. So you can still find us under the same brand and the same photos, but if you want to, you can subscribe to them separately because we had a lot of feedback that some people were interested in the RPG and some people were interested in the LCG, um, hopefully more interested in us, though we like the RPG podcast as well. Kaori's Legion of Adoring Fans has had enough of me and yours shenanigans. Exactly. And they they got tired of all the notifications telling us that another great LCG episode was out because uh, it wasn't full of juicy RPG spoilers. So um, we've done that. We hope it's good. Uh, just let us know uh, in the feedback section, you know, that sort of thing. If you are happy with that or if you there are any other changes you'd like considered let us know other than that thanks to all of our patreon you know who you are we appreciate the support if you're not currently a patreon consider becoming one exactly the giveaway this month is up which is fans of the east so it's either a collection of japanese sweets or it's a collection of traditional korean fans or it is a series of famous books uh the pillow book and the diary of lady murasaki which are some famous novels from japan translated into english so if you're a patron you can be entered into that draw to win one of those prizes which is exciting uh speaking of the pack uh the our sister uh podcast uh court games rpg with kovar and kikita kaori they are taking a look at the fictions that just came out we've got red petal scatter um we've got the dragon one the dragon have a new story that's new and we have uh the final story considering um both uh shoju and katsuko as well as Tutori uh, falling in a fallout of what happened to him after his incident. And this is going to be the final uh, fictions of the inheritance cycle. So check them out, see what they have to say. And that's about it. Uh, with that, I'm going to say goodbye, everyone. I've been uh, Trevor Cuba, a.k.a. Kikita Odimaro. And I have been Steelfur, a.k.a. Finbar. Have a, a good one. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>